This is Drew versus the World, a podcast about getting information to inspire others. And it's not just Drew versus the World, it's actually you versus the world. Today, we have James Norris on the podcast. How are you doing today, James? What's up? Drew, how are you doing, brother? Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, man. It was a pleasure. This has been a long time coming. I think we've been kind of crossing paths in the clubhouse rooms and you've been dropping some knowledge bombs about podcasting and about you kind of your journey. So I was like, I have to have this man on and, and you're, and you're Boston night too. You're, you're, um, you're, so I had to be like, I'm from New York originally. So oh. I was like, now we got to talk now. Now I have to get him on so I could talk trash. <laughs> <laughs> So now it's just oh, now, now, the, now, it's now the real reason comes out. The real reason comes out. Okay, I think we're just gonna end this right now. Just end the call. <laughs> uh, but um, first and foremost, James, again, thank you for being a part. And I have a very existential question to ask you: Who is James Norris? Who is James Norris? Who is James? Okay, so I'm 35 years old, and I have cerebral palsy. But I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory of how that all came to be, and we'll speed it up to where I am today. So, um, 35 years old, had cerebral palsy. I was born premature, three months premature. Um, but other than that, I was born quote unquote normal. But then, at the age of about one, one and a half, somewhere in there, I went in for a hernia operation. It was during the hernia operation, the mask came off my face, and my brain was without air for five and a half minutes, which caused the cerebral palsy. Um, but the doctors didn't tell my parents at the time. They just, you know, sent me home like everything went normal. Everything was good. Then my parents realized I wasn't hitting certain milestones. So living in Boston, they called Children's Hospital, made an appointment. Shortly thereafter, that's when I was diagnosed with the cerebral palsy. Um, you know, and I tell people all the time that my parents never treated me any different because of my cerebral palsy. In fact. I believe that they pushed me even harder because they didn't want me to to use that as a crutch. Um, mm. But that being that being said, you know, I really didn't have too much confidence in myself. Like outside of outside of my family and my close knit group of friends, um, you would never see me out at a Friday night football game with with friends from school or at a party, just because I didn't have that confidence. I always thought that, you know, um, either one, people were talking to me because of my cerebral palsy, or two, they weren't talking to me because of my cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's funny, because over quarantine, I was able to do some really deep self-reflecting, I think, as we all were. And one of the things that I kind of discovered and, and kind of figured out was, was that it wasn't necessarily that people weren't talking to me because of my CP or they were talking to me because of my CP. That is how I identified with myself. And that was the energy I was then putting out into the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't see myself as, as James Norris with cerebral palsy. I saw myself as cerebral palsy, James Norris. Mm. And I realized that that was, again, the energy I was putting out into the world. And it, But it wasn't until I got into fitness that I discovered that inner athlete that I had always been chasing in life. You know, 
growing up, I played challenger t-ball for for handicapable athletes, challenger basketball, but that never really scratched that competitive itch, you know, because at the end of the game, for as great as a service as it was, and I supported 110%, um, the the score of the game was always 0-0, zero, zero, and I was like, no, my team won 4-3, to three. what are you talking about? <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I went home and I told my mom, like, I don't want to play that anymore. Um, you know, so... So I was never really an athlete. And like I said, it wasn't until I got into fitness that I finally discovered that inner athlete in myself. And I knew I was never going to be the biggest guy in the gym, the fastest guy, obviously. But I was competing with myself. I was pushing my own limits. And everything I was doing at that point was new. Um, you know, but bringing it back to a little bit of the high school and, and where, and where, you know, my confidence journey kind of started. I had a really good teacher that I still speak with today. And it was coming into senior year and she's like, James, you're going to go to prom. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, are you kidding me? I, I don't even go to a football game on a Friday night and you want me to go to prom? And we went back and forth all senior year. And she's like, you're going. I'm like, I'm not going. You know, and it was like a really knockout drag knock down drag out fight at <laughs> at times and to make a long story short i ended up going and that was the first dose of confidence that i received a little bit in myself um it took years to develop that afterwards i mean that was just a very minute piece of the confidence that was built and like i said my confidence really didn't come to pass until I got into fitness. But before that, what I did was I worked in radio because I love sports. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, if I can't play sports, I want to somehow be involved in it. I already talk about sports on a daily basis. Why not? Why not get paid to do it? So ended up going to broadcasting school worked six years in radio, unfortunately not in sports radio, but I did work, you know, in a music station, for a music station. Then I had the opportunity to go to California to work for a production company. So I uprooted everything, brought, brought it, brought everything I had out to California, worked there for about five months. They came to me and said, you know, the company isn't performing the way that we sh it should you're the low man on the totem pole. We have to let you go. And I was like, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. You know, I uprooted everything. And here I have a, a ride service that comes to my house, picks me up, will bring me to the gym, will bring me to concerts, sporting events, all these different things. Out there at the time, they didn't have a service like that. So I went from living this active lifestyle of going to all these concerts and, and such to now I'm just kind of sitting in the house doing not much of anything. So I fell into a depression, mm -hmm. um, really started to develop some unhealthy habits in terms of eating unhealthy, lots of junk food, uh, drinking. And after the year lease was up on the house, I ended up coming back to Boston. And I was fortunate enough to get my job back at the old radio station I was at. And I was coming home from work and I live on the second floor. And I get around on my knees and I was sweating like I ran the Boston Marathon. And 
at this point, I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, oh, man, I have to do something. And I just joined a commercial gym, knew nothing about working out. I would literally go there every day and do the same workout. I mean, I should have arms like Popeye's by now because all, all I did was bicep curls. And finally, finally, this trainer saw me. He's like, man, you're in here every day. You're a machine. He's like, let me design a program around you, your challenges, your goals, and let's see what we can make happen. And and slowly but surely, the weight started to come off. Um, and with that came the confidence. And I was like, okay. So finally, I was able to realize that, you know, cerebral palsy is a part of me and it's a pretty big part of me, but it's not the whole package. So now I tell people all the time that cerebral palsy is my superpower mm. because I know that when I roll into the gym, chances are I'm going to be the only one in the in a wheelchair that's at that gym. So the eyes are going to be on me. And now it's up to me to educate other people because what I realized when I was talking about, you know, the people were talking to me or weren't talking to me because of my cerebral palsy is that it was fear of the unknown. People don't know what they don't know. And it's not so much that they were trying to be standoffish or being jerks. And sure, I'm sure some people were, but the majority of people, they just don't know how to phrase questions. So if I see somebody looking at me, I'll go up and I'll make a I'll make a joke about me being in the wheelchair to to use it as an icebreaker. I'll be like, yeah. "Hey, I see you looking at me. That's fine. You have two you have two minutes to ask me any questions you want." And that takes them back, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, right?" <laughs> but then they ask that question, they see how I respond to it, and next thing you know, they're just they're just seeing a normal guy. Um, you know, and we got over that elephant in the room. And my hope is that when they hear or that they remember the conversation that we had, so the next time they're faced with seeing a handicapped person, Mm -hmm. they're more relaxed and more willing to go up to them and engage with them in a conversation because of that interaction that they had with me. So, so James, you use the word handicapable a couple of times instead of using the word handicapped. Did you come up with that? And what does handicapable mean to you? Um, you, know, you know what? Honest to God, I thought that, that I came up with it. But when I was searching the, the hashtags in Instagram, <laughs> um, other people had must have come up with it. And mm. Because it was, it was funny. As I was telling my cousin, actually, about you know, everything I was doing in fitness, yeah. And all that stuff, he's like, you're handy capable. And I was like, man, I, I like that idea right there because it it's not so much that I don't like the word handicap, but, but when I when I hear the word handicap, it's kind of like that old nails on the chalkboard yes. type, of, type of feeling I get. Mm-hmm. And the whole mission behind handicapable fitness is to is to take what's perceived to be a negative right and use it as an empowering and an enduring term um yeah you know i i have challenges and these other athletes have challenges but but that doesn't mean that we can't live a fit active healthy lifestyle or you know fitness is just what i relate to that's what sparked my fire but if you're if you're 
fire is music or or drawing or whatever it is, I want you to use your abilities and go after your own dreams. I mean, just change your perspective a little bit and don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do and how can you leverage that to get you to the next level where you want to go. Yeah, so another thing I want to ask you, if we go back a little bit, and your parents finding out at, like at two years old from this surgery that you had that you, um, did they, first of all, did they ever connect the pieces that it was a surgery that gave you CP or um, was it kind of like, um, uh, over, <laughs> over to over time, okay. over time, they did kind of piece it together. And, mm-hmm. and actually the, the crazy thing is when they did the research and they were piecing it together, they found out that I wasn't the only person, really? unfortunately, that this, that this has happened to under that doctor or at that hospital. Um, so, so that was kind of that was kind of crazy to find to find out when they did. Um, I'm not I'm not sure how they found it out or what research they had to do, but they mm-hmm. did figure it out somehow, some way. And um, as far as your, I don't know if you ever talked to your parents about this kind of like situation. Did so from them coming home and just you know seeing that you're not seeing hitting the milestones. Um, what what changed or what they t- tell you changed in their life that they find they found out that you had this issue. Um, I'm sorry, this you had this uh, disability. And what like what did they change in their life? Um, what, what do you mean? Are you talking about like what milestones they noticed that I wasn't hitting or, well, it was more or less, more how less did that change them personally? Personally. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's a really good question and I haven't really asked them that, but I think if I had to go off of what I would assume they would say, um, I think it brought us closer together. In fact, I know that it brought us closer together. I mean, because here's the thing, there's no handbook when you have a child anyway, but then you throw special needs on top of it, then it's like, boom, okay. And I, if I just have to put myself in a parenting uh, set of shoes, again, I'm not a parent, so I can't fully do that, but I know what it would do for me is I'd be like, okay, well, this child is really relying upon me. I have to step up 110% and really advocate for this child in every sort of way. And I think, you know, seeing somebody with a challenge and, and being able to being able to thrive in their own way, that would give them energy to be like, you know what, what's my excuse type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Again, I have no idea because I haven't asked my parents this question. I would think that any time a milestone was hit, no matter how insignificant it may seem, you know, you're 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 going to really blow that up and and give them their flowers because it took so much more to get to that that milestone. James, does I that think, make sense? James, I think I just got on one of your podcast episodes that you can do in the future is interview your parents. And, and, and I just want, you know, I want 10% of the cut. I don't ask for the whole pie. I just ask for 10% of the cut. 
Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. We we can definitely do that. The the check is in the mail right now. Um. Although although you live in New York, I the the mail doesn't go to New York see, from see, Boston. See, that's so. even so. You have no excuse because I'm not in New York anymore. I'm in Charlotte, so you have no excuse. It's the okay, South. Okay. <laughs> so it's gonna go okay, slow. So, it's just so, gonna come slow. So, so let so so let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Are and this this is really gonna define things. Okay. <laughs> Of whether of whether I send you this check or I don't or this interview continues, are you a Duke fan or a North Carolina fan? Duke. Oh God, <laughs> come on, man! You know what's funny though? I I think I I'm not like a person that's like a bandwagon fan, but it seems like a bandwagon. I'm a bandwagon fan because my teams that I enjoy are the Yankees, the Lakers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's what um um duke um the cowboys like all these teams that are like the glorified show pony show ponies of each sport and i'm just like hey i just kind of like them but when they do bad i like them when they do bad too so i i okay I, well, they, I, they, they, there you go i i give you i give you a little respect for that and and just so you know, Magic Johnson was my favorite player growing up. So, so we have a little something there. Okay, okay, okay. And then the Cowboys were my first ever favorite football team, and Emmitt Smith is my all-time favorite player. So at least we can kind of, kind of see eye to eye when it comes to that. And and those those glasses that you're wearing all of a sudden become a little bit more clear and <laughs> and less fuzzy. <laughs> I'm actually I'm seeing 2020 now. I'm, we're we're in a 2020 vision now, not not 2020 year, just 2020 vision. <laughs> well, but, that's good. That's good. <laughs> but um, another thing, as far as you kind of like going up through the ranks through school and things like that, and you know, Miss is it Mister Mister? Yes. Yeah, Mister and Coach Brown kind of helping you kind of get your, you know, your chops in school and things like that. And you kind of finding out, finding yourself in that school, what, what drove you, you know, to then move into radio broadcasting, like, and stay in radio broadcasting? What was the passion there? Other than, you know, you kind of want to do, do sports radio. Cause I know, um, um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy because yes, I wanted to do sports radio, but I tell people all the time, like, I I got paid to go to adult daycare and do and do things in radio. Like, I got paid to go to concerts. I got paid to go to sporting events. Um, there's there was actually a funny story, um, that I've never shared on a podcast before. Exclusive, but exclusive, exclusive. <laughs> exactly. Where, where's the sirens? I need sirens. Um, but but. We we were we were joking around once in the radio station, and we got a huge banner that's probably like six feet long, and it it was breakable, so they wrapped it in bubble wrap. So so they took the banner out, and they're like, James, they're like, we need you to come up to the hallway on the second floor. So I went up there, and like, they they had this bubble wrap laid across the floor, and I. I ran over it in my electric wheelchair, the, and it, it, it's it sounded like a it sounded like a machine gun, yeah. like going off, <laughs> like like. But I'm like, those are the types of things 
that we got paid to do. I mean, I raced a remote control car down the hallway, you know, and, and we did get a little work done too, but <laughs> uh, meeting celebrities, you know, yeah. like, and just the connection of people that I made. I mean, I haven't been in radio for probably 10 years now, seven, eight yeah. years, something like that. It's been a while. Um, but I'm still really close friends with a lot of the people that I met in radio and, and we stay connected and it was just really building that community. Um, but bringing it back to, uh, Miss Thur and coach Brown, they, one, she pushed me to, to step out of my comfort zone or they both pushed me. And then coach Brown gave me that first sense of community. Like I, like I belong to something. I belong to a team for the first time ever. Yeah. And then, um, so after, you know, being in broadcasting, you said you moved to Cali, right? Um, and then you were, you wasn't eating right. You had the job kind of laid you off and things like that. And one thing I, I kind of read and learned about you through some research was that you had, you were just kind of drinking a lot and call it, you was like on the precipice and you thought you were going to be alcoholic, but it was, what, what was kind of driving the driving force of, you know, the drinking and the unhealthy eating? Was it? the job loss or was it kind of being in a place that you couldn't, you know, travel? You said you couldn't travel a lot. What was, you know, yeah, what, was, what was the defining moment, like defining feeling? Yeah. You hit the, you hit the nail on the head there with both of it. Um, you know, because I went from living this active lifestyle. And when I say active lifestyle, I don't mean, I don't mean fitness at this point, mm -hmm. but I was going to concerts. I was going to sporting events. I was interacting with listeners, hanging out with friends, doing all these different things. Now, all of a sudden, I go from that to sitting on the couch yeah. and, you know, not not being able to get out and, and, and move and, and do these different things. And I don't know if you've ever been to California, but California is super spread out and yep. they don't really have public transportation. So it's not like a Boston or New York to where you can hop on a train, hop on the bus and and be be somewhere real quick it's not like that so it's, that wasn't even an option for me you know um so i think that really played a huge role into into that whole thing got you so when you actually got into the mindset of you know fitness and healthy eating and you went to you know the local gym and you met I think it was coach, coach Joe and coach, then coach Ken. Um, yep. What was, let's go with workouts. What can you remember the toughest workout that you did with either of them? Oh man. Um, you know, it, it was crazy, but here's, here's, I'm, I'm going to dial it back just a little bit. Cause I want to give, I want to paint you the turning point to where I knew I really needed to make a change okay. or, but I wasn't sure how to do that. So I remember one night in California had a little too much to drink and I had made my way to bed and I'm like, I'm awake and I'm sitting there with my thoughts. And I say to myself in my head, I'm like, James, what are you doing? You're made for so much more than this. Like you're wasting so much talent. God has called you to do bigger and better things and not just, you know, pour your potential away in a, in a 12 ounce bottle. Like mm -hmm. you, you, 
you're called for something much more. You need to make a change. And it was that next morning because, like I said, I didn't know anything about fitness or or um, nutrition at that point, but I knew eating salads were good. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to get, you know, like 10 of those uh, Walmart prepackaged salads. Yep. And if I can, if I can eat those, then that's a step in the right direction. And that's something that we can build upon. So that's kind of how that all started. But then um, the hardest workouts, man, um, Joe's workouts, I mean, this is going to sound like a cop out, but Joe's workouts were always tough. They're still tough to this day. Uh, we have a love-hate relationship. I love to hate him <laughs> because he, he, you know, he doesn't pull, he doesn't pull any punches and he, he pushes you, but that's why I love him too, because you end up getting the results. And then the hardest workout with, with Ken was doing split squats. You know, mm. I don't, I don't really, or I hadn't really trained my legs because I'm like, well, I don't really use them. Um, you know, because I mainly use my power chair to get around. Mm -hmm. And so, but then I woke up one morning and I was like, I think it'd be cool to do a 5k. And I'm like, yep. with my walker. And, you know, so I, I went to the gym and I told Ken, I'm like, listen, this is kind of what I wanted to do or want to do. So let's train for it. So that's what we did. Yep. And he's like, okay, well, you're going to have to do split squats. You're going to have to do all this. And I remember it felt like somebody took a billy club to my legs and just beat the ever living crap out of them. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, maybe I don't want to do that 5k. <laughs> but, that was a turning point. He was like, mm, let me rethink this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like, I think I'll just, I, I'd rather get a cramp in my, in my finger just by pushing this joystick here a little bit. Um, but, I, but the thing was, I had already put it out on social media through Handicap oh, Fitness. I'm like, okay. so I can't. But but to be honest with you, Drew, I did that on purpose because I'm like, I, I spoke to people. I yeah. told them what my plan was. And now I have to hold myself accountable because yeah. I can't let them down. Um, so, yeah, the, the, those two guys, I owe a huge amount of my success to. Um, but also the trainer I'm working with now, I want to make sure I give him his kudos as well because he's amazing. Uh, Craig Seidenglantz, he he basically picked up where where Ken left off, and he added his own you know touches to the program. And without all these people, I would not be where I am today. So I just want to make sure I give them all their kudos. So what would you say your training regimen would differ from a a person without CP? Did, does it differ too much or is there a main focus on some type of body areas? Cause I see you pushing the sled, um, man. I saw you pushing the sled. So you, yeah, you, ain't, yeah, you yeah. ain't, you ain't, you ain't stopping out here. So <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, for me, um, for me, no, my, my regimen doesn't change. I usually, okay. I, I usually do, I break it down by body part. So yep. Mondays are, are back and buys Tuesdays. Mm -hmm chest and tries Wednesday is shoulders uh, Thursday is usually some type of leg or cardio um, and then Friday I go back and I touch up on all the areas and do kind of a full body just to make sure that I get everything in for each and every body part as far as the how about the eating what is your like do you have a meal plan a weekly meal plan or you kind of um yeah so 
so in the beginning i was really really strict about it like mm-hmm. i would i would track everything in my phone through my fitness pal ah yep and then mm-hmm. and then i would weigh everything out track all my macros i mean i i would be that guy to where to where i would I wouldn't go out to dinner with my family because I didn't know what was in the food and how much of it was mm. in the food, like how many carbs I was taking. Yeah. Or if I did go out with my family, um, I would bring my food with me in a meal prep container and I would just eat my own food. Um, you know, and I haven't really talked about this too much, but I think it's important to talk about just because I'm a hundred percent transparent. You know, throughout my weight loss journey and losing the weight, I did struggle with body dysmorphia for a time. Mm. You know, I never thought that, that, you know, I was in good enough shape. You know, I still got this little roll down here at the bottom of my belly. Like, what's going on? It, and it's like, well, James, you're sitting down. Everybody has a roll on their belly when they're sitting down. Like, give you, give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. But, like, for me... It wasn't so much I wanted to look good on a beach and have a six pack. Like that was that was great. Like and that was that definitely played a part in it. And I'm not gonna lie to you. But for me, I knew how bad my knees hurt. You know, before I lost the weight and any weight that I put on, I'm like, okay, well I don't want to head down that sli- that slippery slope again and and put the weight back on and have it be harder to move because I know that if I put too much weight on, I am possibly going to have knee replacements or have to have knee replacements at some point because to be honest with you like it's not good for anybody to be overweight you know from an unhealthy standpoint um but you being overweight you know your body can take because you walk around on your feet Mm -hmm. and feet were made for walking knees they're not so they're going to respond differently so I always had that fear in the back of my mind of, oh, if I put the weight back on, I'm not going to be able to do these things and get around so, so much easier. So what, so what did that like look like? Was that the reason why you was bringing your meals to the dinners or it, was it like any type of bulimia? Was it any type of like overeating? Was it any, like, what did it look like when you felt like you had those body? Oh, I, I was, I was. I was bringing my, I was bringing my meals. Like, I mean, like when I would go and I would do, you know, I'd go on YouTube and I'd find a health, like a healthy recipe for, for some chili. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to scan all the ingredients into, into uh, my fitness pal, wow. every single ingredient. And then, that way I can see exactly how how much of the macros I'm getting in each one of the servings and that sort of thing. And, you know, what, Joe was actually a, a huge helper when it came to the losing the weight side because even, even though he didn't necessarily put me on a meal plan, yeah. you know, he kind of gave me a loose idea of what, macros i should look for and he'd always be telling me james you got to eat more you got to eat more and we struggled with that big time because i'm like joe i don't want to get fat and he's like he's like he's like 
James, you're not going to get fat. You're you're working out every day. Like your body needs your body needs the calories to build the muscle and and stuff like that. And we would go back and forth. And I I call I call him up like and be like, man, I I I slipped up the other day. I had a Reese's. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. So he's like he's like you're fine. Like, but that that was like the inner struggle that went on in my mm-hmm. head and and. and just because it was driven by, if I put on the weight again, I'm not going to be able to live the life that I'm able to live right now. So what what took you out of that kind of like mentality? Was it Joe or was it something mm-hmm. that happened? Okay, it, Joe, Joe it, got you. It, it, was, it was a little bit of Joe and a little bit of Ken, you know? Okay. They're like, listen, they're like, listen, because I stayed like that for probably the first three years of my fitness journey, mm-hmm. um, where I was so regimented. I mean, tracking everything in my phone. Like, I'd be that guy if I said, okay, I'm going to have, you know, 65 grams of rice. And the scale said 66. I'd go in there and I'd take that one grain of rice out. And I, I, I get it. I get it. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's just, that's just how my mind was. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, Ken and Joe are both like, you've been doing this long enough now to where your body knows what is healthy food and all that, all that sort of thing. And your body knows how to use it. Like you can, you can be stringent and I can't really, can't really pinpoint like an exact moment where I was like, okay, I can ease up on a break or ease up on a gas a little bit. Um, but that. Overall, that's kind of what happened. And I saw Joe, and I saw what his eating habits were. And, I mean, he, uh, he ate clean for the most part. But if he wanted to, you know, have a Reese's or drink a beer, he was going to do it. Um, and I realized that he didn't blow up and become 700 pounds just yeah. because he did that. That's, that's, that's important for people to understand, too. That, you know, because I think that healthy eating is so highly important in weight loss, obviously, right? And in fitness. Um, but I think the point, because I was at where you was at, I had a point where I was, when I was running track and field, I literally would have a weight, you know, the the um, the um food weight, the food weight, mm-hmm. you put the food on there and had to weigh a certain amount, like certain amount of grams. Like I had to have like, I think yep. 150 grams or whatever. And I was literally like, to your point, if it was one gram over, I was like, okay, how can I take out that one gram of chicken yes. or whatever I can have to kind of originate. And, and then another thing people need to understand as well is that, you know, the mental fortitude it takes in fitness is nothing to sneeze at as well. Because a lot of the times people are like, okay, it's you against his weight. No, it's you against your own personal mindset that you're trying yes. to overcome. And once, you know, I always say when I get into fitness, because sometimes I slack off, sometimes I get back. But when I slack off and I get back, the one thing I can feel when I slack off is like, I feel like I'm missing something, right? It feels like a part of me is missing. And it's, I don't know if it's those endorphins or some chemical reaction in my brain that I'm missing. But then when I, when I get back to like 
two weeks into it, I feel like, okay, here we go. This is the, this is the, we, we back at it. We back at it. And that's, that's where I, I, I think people need to understand. It's, it's a whole, it's a mind body connection. Well, and, and I love that you just said that because I tell people all the time for me, now it's more of a mental thing than it is a physical mm-hmm. thing. Of yeah. course, I want to continue to improve physically, no question. But if I can always tell when I don't work out, when I miss, you know, a, you know, three four days in a row working out because I get grouchy, I get mm-hmm. annoyed, I get aggravated, you know. And for me, you know, working out in that gym time, I put the headphones on, right, and I just go and I zone out everybody else. Just do my own thing, and that that's that's my me time to uh, to really just focus on me and get better and and just find mental clarity. Yes, and so let's get into how you kind of like formulated handicap. I mean, sorry, handicapable fitness, the Instagram page, sure. the organization, and I know you you know you got the nonprofit started too. And then you also had the walk too. So you have, you have so many things you've done with this, you know, platform. Can you tell me how you got into it and what you got, it's got going on? Yeah, sure. So, um, so it's kind of crazy because as Joe and I were working together, I would just take, I was having him just take videos for my own personal Instagram, just to show my friends and family all the different things I was doing because it was all new at this point. Mm. So he says to me, he goes, hey, Jim, he goes, if you're doing this, he goes, you might want to make a public account because you never know who you can inspire. So I was like, okay. So that's how, that's how I decided on Handicapable Fitness. And at first, I was just throwing up videos of me, you know, and it was strictly just me. And I was like, hold on, nobody wants to sit here and watch me do bicep curls all day long, right? <laughs> so. So I'm like, if I'm doing this, there has to be other people with challenges that are doing some like-minded things. So that's when I started to highlight them and incorporate them because my goal with the social media presence is to have people as they're aimlessly scrolling through Instagram to see themselves represented on the page, whether it's somebody with CP, a spinal cord injury, you know, spina bifida an amputee, whatever the case may be, I want them to be scrolling and be like, oh my gosh, what do you mean an amputee did a Spartan race? I'm an amputee. I can do it too. And next thing you know, they're hitting the Spartan course and they found a passion that they never thought was possible. Um, And then with the walk, again, it it started as to, hey, I want to do a 5K. So, you know, let's make this happen. I fell short of that 5k mark. But again, I had already talked about it on social media, like, this is what this is what the plan is. And even though I knew going into it, probably like a week out that I was going to fall short of that 5k mark, I was like, the whole mission of Handicapable Fitness is to is to work with what you have and to and to really push yourself. So I'm like, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to walk until, you know, I can't anymore. And I'm, I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to accept that result for what it is, because what, what is it going to do in the bigger picture? So, that, so that's 
that's what we did, and it turned out great. I was able to do three laps around the track, which was the furthest I had ever been able to walk. So that was a huge accomplishment. But going forward, we weren't able to do it last year because of COVID and all all of the crazy stuff that was going on. But the the goal of it going forward is to um, have other handicapped athletes come out and, and join join me in this walk. Have their families come out and have you know, DJs, you know, playing music and having having food and just having like a picnic day, a, a nice day for families to come out and enjoy, to network, to meet other handicapped people, families, and that sort of thing. And um, hopefully, you know, we can get some bigger sponsors in there and, and be able to raise some money and make a big, big difference. And then for Handicapped Fitness, the nonprofit, um, you know, I was like, the, the social media presence is going great, but I want to do more. I want to find a way to give back because I've been given a lot in life. You know, being able to work out with so many amazing trainers, have such an amazing support team around me and people that have invested in my journey. I want to give back to somebody else and be that person that those people were for me. Um, so that's how or that's why I created the nonprofit side of things. And our goal is to help those with challenges, get up, get active, get moving, whatever that means to them by connecting them with qualified fitness professionals and the equipment needed to live that active lifestyle. That's super dope, man. That's a, you know, you're doing, you're doing God's work, honestly, because I think the one thing that you're giving people that I've seen on your page alone is you're giving people visibility into that that space, and you're also giving the people that's on there, you know, confidence to do um, everything they want to, do. as far as the confidence they, they that they they're getting, you know, do with, the, with everything anything they want to do, as far as you know, pull ups and people doing pull ups in wheelchairs and what you call it, people that you know are are in wheelchairs or amputees doing kickboxing like things like that i'm like yeah man i'm like that and it's funny to my first statement as far as visibility i didn't even know it's possible and that may have been my ignorance but i didn't even know these things were possible and to see that on your page man it just shines a, a big shining light on you know we're it's funny we're all connected in the heart of fitness it's just like we're yeah. all, everything at the end of the day everybody trying to break a sweat I don't care who you are. It, Try to break a sweat. It, 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 exactly. And you know what? It's it's humbling for me too as I go and I, you know, either have these people reach out to me or to be to be featured on the page or you know, I just happen to to stumble across them in my own research looking for the post. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it's like wow, I have no excuse. Like I I have to I have to get to the gym so so these handicapped athletes they motivate me just as much as people say that i personally motivate them it's like no we're in this together like when i you know you touch upon it the the amputee boxing or kickboxing or whatever it was a couple days ago i saw that guy and i was like he's a bad man Mm -hmm. like but but to your point you know I never expected to see that. I knew that it could probably be done, but 
you know, that was my first time seeing some somebody do do kickboxing like that yeah. at, at a at a professional level, which was another mind blowing thing. Um, you know, so so these athletes they they inspire and motivate me to to really get up and get after it. Yeah, that's that's super dope, man. And just that leads into the next part is the the podcast that you have created, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of uh, also shine another shining light on you know people of extraordinary circumstances, challenges, and they're overcoming those challenges with athleticism or activity or just being you know a bad bad person like not bad person but a bad uh mamma jamma yeah there we go mamma jamma (laughs) Uh, so (laughs) so um can you tell me a little bit about how you started a podcast as well sure so it's called the adaptive collaborative podcast and how Mm -hmm. it came about was um one of my good friends uh worked for spartan the office course racing company and as the pandemic happened, um, just like everybody else, they switched over to online and, and virtual platforms, Zoom, that that sort of thing. And as part of their catalog, they wanted to host a podcast series. Mm-hmm. My friend knew that I had worked in radio for six uh-huh. years, and she was like, James, would you host this podcast? Like, I see everything you're doing with Handicap Fitness. Maybe you can bring Handicap Athletes on interview them and, and do it that way. So I was like, yeah, sure. So so ended up doing an episode and I, I had a a friend of mine on, on the show who was an amputee, invited her on to share her story. And um one thing led to another and she became my co host. Then Spartan, you know, probably three months into it said, All right, we're taking down our our online presence you know we're going in a different direction and we were like well why are we going to let this thing die let's just keep going with it and see what happens because she runs a nonprofit as well mm-hmm. and the nonprofit world is probably just like the regular business world where it can sometimes be cutthroat very competitive and all all these different things and what we wanted to one of our goals was to um, show people like, yeah, our our missions are a little bit different in the way that we approach them, but in the grand scheme of things, or in the bigger picture, we're on this same mission together, and we can accomplish more together than we can apart, so let's show unity in this. So we created the podcast, and basically the premise of the podcast was Something similar to what I do with handicapped fitness, just bringing on uh, handicapped athletes, um, people within the fitness world, uh, medical profession, equipment companies, anybody that has a story. We want to we want to shine the light on them, and in hopes that somebody listening hears their story, and then has finds the courage to go after their own dreams. Um, so it it's been a huge successful run uh we're in the process of you know getting some other seasons out but for right now we've kind of halted it because i'm going to be heading down to dallas to the adaptive training foundation for three months so i'm excited about that so with the 
schedule being a little crazy, we kind of went on a little bit of a hiatus. But hopefully, you know, after that three months is over, we can pick back up where we left off and make stuff happen. But we had a lot of great guests, a lot of great information was given, and I couldn't be any more thankful for all the people that came on the show. So I'm going to I'm going to put you in a predict like a bad situation here. But what was one of the best stories or best like changes that you've seen amongst your kind of journey with any cable fitness, the page and or the podcast? Somebody that was a real like a to Z that kind of like was a tearjerker or something that somebody oh, that really, inspi- really inspired you. Oh, you know what? I'll give I'll give you, I'll give you three. Okay. I'll give you three. Cause you thought you were going to put me on the spot, but I was ready for you. I was ready for you. Come on, man. Um, but, but no, I think the first moment where I knew handy fitness was what I was supposed to be doing was, um, in 2017, uh, Spartan did the first ever Paris Spartan race. So it was teams of, I think, four or five. And each one of the individuals had some type of challenge. So they could be wheelchair-bound, uh, amputee, spinal cord injury, whatever the case may be. And they, they did a regular Spartan sprint, which is three and a half miles mm-hmm. through the desert in Laughlin, Nevada. 21 different obstacles and together they had to figure out how they were going to navigate these obstacles they really didn't make any sort of changes within the rules um but espn came and they broadcasted on espn um and about two to three weeks prior to that event spartan called me and was like hey would you do this would you do this i'm like Heck yeah, let's go. And I didn't even know what a Spartan race was, Drew. Like, I had no idea. And I hung up the phone, and I YouTubed it. And I'm like, oh, what did I just agree to? Because this is, this is crazy. Like, going over walls, you know, climbing through the mud. I mean, just, just absolute crazy stuff, right? So I end up going out there. And this was pre-COVID, obviously. So there was probably like 30,000 people there. I mean, it was crazy. Um, and it was able-bodied people, handicapped people, the whole nine yards. And I'm sitting there in in the crowd, and I have a shirt on with my logo. And this woman comes running up, and she's like, oh, my God, I follow you on social media. And she goes, my son has cerebral palsy, and because of you, he wants to be a personal trainer. Wow. So I went over, and I talked to him. And he looked at me like I was the rock. And <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And from that point on, I knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I still mentor him and, and I'm still very good friends with him and his family today. In fact, I just went to Utah last week yeah. and was able to spend some time with him and do some hiking and work out with him and that sort of thing. So that was that was fantastic. Um, then another one was, I was at a trade show called the Abilities Expo. And basically what it is, it's like a trade show that they come out with the latest and greatest in equipment and it just is networking event. Well, I was in 
the wheelchair that we use for the Spartan races called the Grit Freedom Chair. And basically what it is, it's like a mountain bike, mm-hmm. but you pump it with your arms. Yep. Um, and I saw this little boy, he looked at me and his eyes lit up and he comes over and I'm like, do you want to get in the chair? And he's like, yeah. So I jump out, he jumps in, he takes off, he goes all over the place. Now this little boy is probably eight, nine years old, right? And he comes back, had a great time. He's like, can we take a picture? So I took a picture with him. You know, it was great. I gave the family my business card. I was like, listen, if I can do anything to help you guys out, let me know. Well, on my business card has my phone number. So I'm on my way home and I get a text and it says, hey, this is Logan. Can we be friends? So I was like, absolutely. Sure. No problem. And he lives in Connecticut. I live in Boston. So that's probably a five, six hour drive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I would talk to him through FaceTime and mentor him a little bit. And the family ended up driving out to Dave and Buster's here in Boston to have me play video games with him. Um, wow. so, we, so, so we spent the day playing video games and taking pictures and we had dinner and it was, it was amazing. Um, and then he called me probably about a month or two ago now. And he's like, James, guess what? I said, what? He goes, I put my shirt on for the first time by myself. He goes, it took me an hour. He goes, but I did it. And the whole time I kept telling myself, James wouldn't give up. James would tell me to keep going. Like, and at the end of the day, there's no amount of money, there's no amount of fame, no amount of anything that could ever replace those types of feelings. Because you're not just helping the handicapped person, you're helping their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm just so blessed. I, I literally have to pinch myself every day and be, be like, this is my job. Like, like this is, this is, this is wild. Like, it's, it's amazing, and I'm truly, truly thankful for the opportunity. But then, as far as the podcast goes, um, this was probably one of the biggest and most rewarding things for my broadcasting career, just in general. I had the opportunity to interview Eric Legrand. Um, if you're unfamiliar who Eric Legrand is, he played football at Rutgers University, um, had the potential to go to the NFL. He was probably going to go. Um, but during a game, he was c- covering a kickoff, and he went in made a tackle. When he made the tackle, he broke his neck. Um, and he now has a spinal cord injury. But he is doing amazing things uh, with, with, his, with his organization. And... Um, he now does stuff for ESPN. He has his own show on Sirius Radio. ESPN's covered him and, and done stories on him. Super down-to-earth guy. And he's, he, like I said, he's done a lot for people with spinal cord injuries. So that was like, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing Eric Legrand. He's a legend. So so that was, that was, that was huge. That's dope. And that kind of touches on a little bit about you want to be a sports radio too. That gives you a little bit of taste, a little taste. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know mm-hmm. what to, and to be honest with you, it's funny because even though I'm not involved in radio, I still do motivational speaking and mm-hmm. I still do podcasting like this, you know? So 
all that radio stuff is still tying into what it is I'm I'm doing. So even though I don't do it on a daily basis, I get to use those skills and kind of play in that arena quite a bit. So, so I this is going to be an obvious question. Maybe it's not an obvious question, but one of the questions I always ask my guests um, on Diversity World is the one question. What do you think you have done or what do you think you did or are doing to change the world? Oh, man. This, you know, Drew, this, I love this question, but it, it's so hard for me to answer because, and I'm going to answer it, but I'm just James, man. Like, I'm, you know, like people coming up to me saying I inspire them first and foremost. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I, it's so, but I'm, I'm, I'm just James, you know, Uh, but I, I realize that God has called me to do bigger things. Um, and to him be all the glory for all the success that handicap fitness has had, you know? Um, but I would like to say that I'm making, that I'm, believing in other people when they may not believe in themselves and I'm showing them what's possible um, so that at the end of the day, they can say, you know what? Yeah, I may, I, I met James. I interacted with him in some way and he really made a positive imprint on my heart because that, at the end of the day, that that's, that's what it's about. You know, we could be sitting here having a conversation and, you know, somebody could be listening to this and they might not reach out to me, but, or they may not reach out to you. But the thing is, we are changing the world because you're bringing on these amazing guests from all these different backgrounds. And you never know, somebody could be listening five years from now. And, the, you know, it could be episode one. And somehow they stumble upon it and they hear it, and it changes their life. It gives them hope. It me- it's all about meeting people where they are and bringing them, bringing them along with you. Um, so I just would like to think that I'm giving people hope to believe in themselves and because I truly feel that we're, we're all capable of greatness, but it's up to us to define what that greatness means. That's deep. It's deep there, James. <laughs> get snaps. Get snaps. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I, I'm last thing. Thanks. Great answer, James. Um, but last, I'm going to go. We're going to go to the last part of the podcast, which is shot fired. So um, I, I can get you out of here. Um, so that shots fired basically is um, I call it elevated icebreakers. Um, and okay. The questions are pretty simple at the beginning, and then they get locked up, up provoking at the end. So just quick fire, snap questions. Um, and this week, the um, shots fired is actually powered by Poddex. Um, if you go to poddex.com and you type in DVSW, you get 10% off your first Poddex order. So go to poddex.com and type in DVSW and you get your first Poddex order. All right. Love Poddex. Poddex are great. Poddex is dope. I actually had Travis Brown on and another interview. If you guys want to um, go listen to that after you listen to this episode, don't don't stop this episode. <laughs> this episode. 
and then you go listen to that episode. Okay? Projects. All right. <laughs> All right. And away we go. This is Shots Fired. What's the, what is your favorite color? Uh, red. What's your favorite sport? Football. What's your favorite drink? Um, coffee. What's your favorite cereal? Cereal. Uh, oatmeal. What's your favorite movie? Uh, Top Gun. What movie do you hate to love? What movie do I hate to love? Um, I would probably say, oh man, I, I like Silence of the Lambs. I know that's terrible. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, one place you went to visit that you haven't yet? Hawaii. What's one, what's one fictional world or place you would like to visit? Oh man, I don't, fictional world. I I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. Hmm. Okay, let's skip that one. I'll co- let's come back to it. We will. Um, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a sports broadcaster or a football player. Okay. If you had a time machine, would you go back in time or forward in time? Back in time. So like your... the forties and fifties. Okay. Where the women dressed up for for like the baseball games and so did the guys. And I think suits. that would be really cool. <laughs> suits everywhere. So many suits. That's right. <laughs> what who is your celebrity crush? Oh man. Oh. Selma Hayek. There we go. What's your favorite type of music? Uh ooh, this one's all over the it depends on my mood. So I like country. I grew up on country. Mm-hmm. Um Hip hop, of course. Christian music's great. I mean, so it really just depends on on my mood. Gotcha. Um, who's your favorite artist? And I, I'll preface this by saying it doesn't have to be a musical artist. It's anybody whose art invokes emotion to you. Oh, man. This is I would say Garth part. Brooks. <laughs> Garth Brooks. There you go. The OG. Um. Original Garth. Um, it was a joke. Um, what's, yeah. uh, what song would describe your life? Oh, um, High Hopes from Panic at the Disco. There you go. Um, what song would be looped in your hell? Looped in my hell? Yeah. Um, did I hear that right? Yes. Looped in your hell. Okay. Um, D- DMX. Okay. Yeah, God, God rest his soul. Hopefully. Um, who would you change places with for one day? Who? Um, I would, I would love to experience David Goggins' world for for a day. That's the man right there. Um, what would be the name of your autobiography? Um, unstoppable. Okay. If you had to be handcuffed to someone for a month, who would it be? Who would it be? Um, that is a good, can it, can it be literally anybody? Anybody. Selma Hayek. (laughs) (laughs) Smart man. Smart man. Um, 
if you had a talk show, who would be your first guest, alive or dead? And what would be the first question you asked them? David Goggins. Okay. What's the first question? Um, what, what drives him? What motivates him? After he's accomplished what he's accomplished. What's one superpower you want to have? I would want to be able to fly because I love to travel. All right. We're going to go to the, to the last question. Hope you've been thinking. Uh, what fictional world or place would you like to visit? Oh, man. Um, fiction. I would love to go back in time to like any of the kings and queens time, maybe even the gladiators times and, mm. and stuff like that. To just see what that was like, because that they talk about the UFC being like gladiator days. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to be in a match, but I would I would like to see what that was like. Just be around the Coliseum. Yeah. Um last question. What is your death row meal? Last meal of life. I need the Oh app. man. I need an app, I need an entree, and I need dessert. Okay. So so the so the app would be the app would be um mozzarella sticks. The the entree would be would be sushi or steak. And then the dessert would be cheesecake. This is this is this will make or break the meal. What temperature is your steak? Uh rare. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Good job. And that yeah. is that is shots fired. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. You know, I thought that was gonna be a little bit more challenging, but it was good. It was good. You Excuse had me, me nervous there for a second. <laughs> had me nervous there for a second. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can deliver. I hope I can deliver, but um, hopefully I did it justice. You did an amazing job, my friend. Um, so last thing we do here on Drew vs. the World is say our catchphrase. No, first, I'm sorry. First and foremost, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Now, where can people follow you on your journey um, on social media? a website, or any upcoming events you got going on? Okay, so um, I'm going to make it really easy, and then you can find everything else, the social media platforms, on there. So it's handycapablefitness.com, H-A-N-D-I, capablefitness.com. And there you can find more out about my, my own personal story, our mission as an organization, ways to donate, and then all the social media links. So, and then the last, last thing on the podcast we do is say our catchphrase. And the catchphrase Believe. is... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, the last thing is say our catchphrase, which is love, peace, and chicken grease. <laughs> Maybe, okay. You, you're going to have to explain that a little bit. I get the first two. So love, peace, and chicken grease. So love, obviously peace obviously 
chicken grease is the natural unifier, I believe. Okay. So it's like love, peace, and let's bring it on together. Chicken grease. There, okay, <laughs> I get it now. I like that. That's clever. That's clever. I I, th- I thought it was a fried chicken reference to North Carolina and all the Southern goodness. So, you guys so I have, I, I did steal it from um, somebody down here, but I will not tell that, tell that person I stole it from them. They will never get it. If you listen to this right now, you will never get any, any uh, kudos on that. <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> Love it. So whenever you're ready, you just hit us with the catchphrase and we get out of here. Uh, believe, do, empower. So first you have to believe you can. Then you have to go out and do it. Then you empower other people to do what their dreams are. There you go, man. Um, again, James, thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. And this has been another episode of Drew versus the World. Drew, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course, man. Anytime. We'll be back. (laughs) 